Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Warning. Guests of The Roy Green Show may experience the truth, being in the hot seat, and in some cases, crying. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. Great to have you with us on the Roy Green Show on this first weekend in January. You know, notice the days are getting longer already. Stepped outside the radio station yesterday, and uh, we're on Eastern Time, where I broadcast from physically in Ontario, and it was was a lot lighter, a lot brighter. Well, not brighter, but it was a lot lighter. You'll love to see that. Any positive move toward a change in the season is really welcome, particularly as this cold spell had the whole country uh, shivering is going to back up a bit and leave us alone. It's been quite a week in Washington, and uh, we'll talk to Fran Coombs, the former editor of the Washington Times, managing editor of Rasmussen Reports. A little later in the hour, Donald Trump, the uh, Fire and Fury book. Which again, I, I once the author says, "Well, I can't really, can't really verify that what I, that what I wrote is true." Bye bye book. But those who hate Trump are all over it, and I think in uh, I think this year it's all going to be about his mental capacity to be president. They'll try anything. It's going to be the length of his toenails next. Here's a story. I just want to read you this, and I'll introduce you to my guest. Uh, This is from WITI Television in Wisconsin. An eighth-grade privilege test at a Wisconsin middle school called out straight white males, interact families, as well as people with money and without disabilities, and not everybody was happy with the exercise. A privilege test was given to 150 eighth-grade students at a Wisconsin public school in December and consisted of 55 statements, participants checked off, such as, I am white, I'm a man, I'm heterosexual, I feel comfortable in the gender I was born in, my family and I have never lived below the poverty line, my parents are still married, I do not have any physical disabilities. This was for 13-year-olds. story goes on to say, for a lot of children, they don't even understand what it means, Kim Goldman, who told uh, WITI, noting that her seventh-grade daughter didn't receive the test but knows all about it because of the controversy at school. Um, One other statements on the privileged test included, I've never tried to hide my sexuality. I've never been called a terrorist. I've never been catcalled. As Coleman said, my child doesn't even know what it means to be catcalled. She's just 13. This is the age they're teaching it. Uh, WITI noted that an upset parent called West Bend Police about the privilege test. Police spokesman confirmed to WITI that the call occurred, but the police told the caller it was a school district matter. 
some of the language in the questionnaire. I can see why, as a parent of a 13- or 14-year-old 8th grader, some people may feel as though those are topics that should be discussed in the home and not in the classroom. Middle school principal Dave Yulman told the station. So Mr. Yulman agrees that some of the points weren't appropriate for a 13-year-old, but there they were anyway. Here's just a few of them. So they have to check these off. I've never been the only person of my race in my room. I've never been mocked for my accent. I've never been told I'm attractive for my race. I have never been a victim of violence because of my race. Uh, I've never been told I sound white. A stranger has never asked to touch my hair or asked if it's real. I am heterosexual. I have never lied about my sexuality. I never had to come out. I never doubted my parents' acceptance of my sexuality. He goes on then to uh, use words that I'm not going to use here. Um, I'll just go a couple more. I've never been ostracized by my religion for my sexual orientation. I have never been told that I would burn in hell for my sexual orientation. I have never been told that my sexuality is just a phase. I have never been violently threatened because of my sexuality. These are kids, 13 years of age. I feel comfortable in the gender I was born as. I still identify as the gender I was born in. I have never tried to change my gender. I have never felt unsafe because of my gender. I've never been catcalled. I've never been sexually harassed or assaulted. And then it goes into uh, economic issues. I've never felt poor. Never had to worry about making rent. 13. I buy new clothes at least once a month. My parents pay all of my bills. 13. My parents pay some of my bills. I've never been homeless. I've never gone to bed hungry. I've never skipped a meal to save money. My parents are heterosexual. My parents are still married. What else do we have here? I've never attempted, I've never considered suicide. I've never attempted suicide. 13. Anyway, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a privilege test. It's, a, it's described as a white privilege test. Let's talk about this uh, with a man I have tremendous respect for. He's been a guest on this program many times, Ron Miller. He's an associate dean and professor of government studies at Liberty University. And... Uh, a former member of the American Air Force, the author of Sellout, Musings from Uncle Tom's Porch. Ron, it's great to speak with you. Happy 2018. Happy New Year to you too, Roy. So when you hear this and, and, and when you read the questions and you realize they're for 13-year-olds, is there value to some of it, all of it, none of it? What's, what's, what's the objective well, I think the question that you ask about objective is very important. Um, I think there's always value in understanding the perspectives that other people have. I mean, we, we have the old traditional saying that uh, it's important to walk in another man's moccasins, as it were, and I hope I'm not being politically incorrect by saying that. But 
there there are all kinds of proverbs that speak to taking an other-centered perspective on on things so that you're not just looking at things from your point of view but from the point of view of other people so in a moral sense that's that's obviously something of value the question though is what is the intent of administering a test with questions that specific and and that wide-ranging to people in this particular age group uh, I, I don't know if the report indicated whether the test was optional. Yes, it was. Uh, that's an, Okay, so that's a factor as well. But I would imagine, given the age of the participants and the nature of a school system, that if you didn't participate, that it would be something that would be known to others. There might be peer pressure or pressure from the people in authority, perceived pressure to take it. So even if it's optional, there's still the possibility that people would feel compelled to do it because... Others do it, and uh, it may call attention to you if you don't. And it certainly would have been um, an issue of great dis- a lot of discussion, obviously, a lot of discussion in the hallways of the school and beyond. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so given the fact that there is obviously value in understanding another person's perspective, the question is what was the intent of the test being administered by the school system uh, at this level of, of uh, age? Is it... What, what were they trying to do? Uh, one of the problems with this particular topic is that too many people want to take a topic that does have some value in studying and use it as a weapon against people. You know, there, there's a, a tendency in our culture to weaponize discourse. Uh, and if the intent is to use it to call people out or to, to produce shame or guilt, then you have to ask yourself, what what does that achieve? Uh, I always tell people that you you have... Uh, two real purposes for communication, uh, actually three, to inform, to inspire, or to inflame. And I would ask the question, what was the intent of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I noted in my, my review of the report that while the principal seemed to understand the parents' ire at the test, the school district somehow seemed to think that the societal imperative of the test outweighed parents' concerns. And Frankly, that's a red flag for, for any parent because there is a perception that parents ultimately need to be responsible for the moral education of their children. Um, but there are people out there who believe that if they don't corporately bring these issues to the forefront, that parents never will. Um, again, the parents may say, well, if that's fine, but that's none of your business. You know, um, we, we, don't, we don't cotton well, as they would say in Texas, to... Uh, um, having authorities tell us what we're supposed to do. Yeah, and how do you know? How do you know, Ron, what the position or the view is of the person at the front of the classroom, or the principal, or the director of education, or superintendent of education? What are the instructions that have gone into the classroom to the teachers about this particular privilege test? What what focus are they supposed to take? You don't know that. You don't find that out. The, the first thing the parents found out was the test had been taken. Yeah, I think the the prudent approach would have been to have informed the parents in advance about the test, uh, maybe even given them a copy of the test itself so that they can make the determination as to whether or not they wanted their children to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that something like this would be uh, a useful classroom discussion to have uh, with the idea of increasing sensitivity and and, and encouraging dialogue. But Certainly, 
uh, not the the test seems to put people on the spot. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Now, is yeah. is it? Would you say that? Let me take a quick break, Ron, and then we'll come back. I have some more questions to ask you specifically that have to do with some of the points that were made in this particular test that the kids had to uh, had to answer. I feel comfortable in the gender I was born as. I still identify as the gender I was born in. I have never tried to change my gender. I've never been denied an opportunity because of my gender, and I make more money than my professional counterparts of a different gender. I've never felt unsafe because of my gender. Uh, If I can recall even barely what was significant to me at 13 years of age, uh, I I think a lot of the questions, not just the ones I mentioned, but a lot of the other points, would have left me somewhat self-conscious. I would have been laughing with my buddies, but none of us would have had any idea what we were laughing at. We'll come back. Compassionate, caring, and cuddly. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. At the Roy Green Show, I just tweeted: perhaps teaching how to add, spell, and think constructively should be priorities in classrooms instead of programming reliable foot soldiers for political correctness. You think? At the Roy Green Show, follow me on Twitter. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Back to uh, Ron Miller, and uh, he's the associate dean at Liberty University. Teaches government and. Um, is the author of, hang on, I got it, I got it, I got it. Why does it happen? Is Why does this happen? Uh, Sell out musings, <laughs> <laughs> musings from Uncle Tom's porch. It just seems to be happening a little too frequently. <laughs> Ron, I don't know why I'm laughing. Um, these particular questions. Now, there was one, one of the points or one of the questions that's asked of the students is, or the points they have to respond to is, my parents are heterosexual. So I never wanted to talk about my parents when I was when I was a kid. Um, but how does it how does it how does it, how does a thirteen year old deal with that? Uh, and why should a thirteen year old be expected to answer that to the satisfaction of a teacher and whoever is going to be reading and assessing these this particular test? Well, technically speaking, everybody had a, a male and a female involved in their parentage, so it's a yeah. interesting question, nonetheless. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I understand what they're trying to do. In fact, I understand the intent of this is is pretty much what you indicated uh, as you let in, and that is to uh, paint a narrative that uh, they want people to subscribe to. Mm-hmm. And that leads to a, a very convoluted discussion about when we're at this level of education, uh, is this where we start doing this kind of socialization, or are we just trying to create people who can process information well, can think critically, do the things that they need to do to be successful in life, and then uh, at a later time, say in college, we start talking about some of these issues? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what some parents are expressing, is that they think this is far too um, 
complex and, and, and controversial uh, a, a survey to be conducting at this stage of the game. And what troubles me, uh, Ron, is that all of these points begin with I or my. So they make it very personal for the 13-year-old. Yes. And that really bothers me. If you want to make it a little more generic or, or, or ask a question that they can answer, they can put, give some critical thought to and answer in a, in a manner that can be discussed later, that, that would be more helpful. But to, it puts the kid on the spot. And uh, if Johnny answers a question, several questions a certain way, Johnny could be quizzed on that by the teacher. And it could be a, well, this is a broader uh, question exercise, but Johnny's the kid on the spot, and that's not fair. Well, one of the things I was curious about, typically when you do a survey like this, uh, once the results have been tallied, there's an outcome uh, that needs to be provided to the people taking the survey. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you answer a certain number of questions a certain way, they say, well, this is the outcome of your survey. I don't didn't see any indication whether there was any outcome. Uh, for example, no, I didn't either. Between X and Y, and you know, so, so you're right. It may be possible that somebody's going to take the results of this questionnaire. They're going to look at the name at the top of the test. They're going to look at the results and say, "Oh, this is a person who presents a problem from somebody's perspective because they seem to be in a certain category, and because they're in this category, they need to be perhaps." educated, and then then you're opening up an entirely different can of worms. Yeah. Do you have a little time, a little longer to stay with us? Sure, absolutely. Because what I'd like to talk to you about is the issue of white privilege. And we've talked about it on this program before, and it generated a tremendous amount of uh, response. I, I don't like the, the notion of, of white privilege, but I, I look at my own history, and there wasn't a whole lot of privilege there. Um, it didn't matter whether I was white or not. It wasn't there, and that, that's just the way it was. But that's my point of view, not shared by everyone, clearly. But I'd like to talk to you about, about that when we come back and also ask what the, uh, what the students at the university, all your kids and the, uh, and, and the students at the university, at Liberty University, what they're saying and what their sense is about the white privilege question that is uh, really at the core of this particular test that was given to the kids in Wisconsin. It's the Roy Green Show. You can email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com anytime and follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. And listen back to anything that we air anytime on the Roy Green Show page at the Global News Radio Station website that you're listening to. Just go to the Roy Green Show page and you can download or listen back to anything that we've aired in the podcast. Entirely your choice. We'll come back with Ron Miller in just a minute. He's like a superhero without the costume. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Reminder that next hour we're going to be speaking with uh, Tom Quiggin, Thomas Quiggin, the author of Submission, The Danger of Political Islam to Canada, 
with a warning for America. And Tom Quiggin is a qualified court expert in the reliability of intelligence as evidence and on terrorism in criminal and federal court. Also has experience with intelligence positions with the RCMP, the Canadian Armed Forces, the United Nations Protection Force in Yugoslavia, the Privy Council Office, and more. So that's coming up at the top of the next hour. We'll continue with Ron Miller. Thank you, Ron, for continuing to stay with us. The Associate Dean at Liberty University, former United States Air Force member, and uh, his book is Sellout, Musings from Uncle Tom's Porch. The issue of white privilege. Uh, You're African-American, and I remember you telling me about a year year or two ago that you had that quote-unquote conversation with your son about relations with police for African-Americans in the United States. And we've seen what's gone on in the National Football League where the kneeling before the games by athletes that has been condemned by many, supported by others. The issue of white privilege, Ron, how do you see it as a dad, as an African-American, as an educator? Well, as a dad, um, I I always want to emphasize to my son and my daughters as well that they have power over the things that happen to them to the extent that they may not be able to control the circumstances, but they can control their response to them. And so I never want them to surrender that. And in so many things we see today, people are putting the responsibility, the blame, whatever phrase you want to use, on things that are external to them and and not taking agency and ownership of how they respond to them. So when we talk about uh, whether or not there is privilege, uh, especially a race-based privilege, even if there were, um, I don't believe that that dictates or governs how we respond to it, if that makes any sense. Mm Mm-hmm. That being said, you might remember you had a guest on uh, some time ago, uh, a a woman who uh, applied for jobs for which she was very well qualified. Yes, I do remember. And and was not getting any responses, and then she decided as an experiment to change her name to something that was very generic and not ethnically oriented and use the very same resume, very same credentials, and she got numerous responses. That's right. So that that is something that I think is telling it's not it's not unusual and it's not evil to think that people tend to associate with and feel most comfortable around people that are like them okay mm-hmm. and I think when we talk about the concept of white privilege it's a horrible bumper sticker slogan that's trying to describe something that actually has some substance and some meaning and it's something that we need to examine but it's not something that people should feel uh, condemned or over or anything like that, because the whole concept behind it is that we're not aware of it. We're not aware that there are certain advantages to certain types of behavior, yeah. certain types of appearance, that sort of thing. And privilege, the word privilege implies unmerited favor. And so I've, I've, I've always wondered if there's a better word than privilege, because it, it almost invites defensiveness. Now, I will say this, too. I think that whites and blacks, and this is where I'm looking at it from an African-American perspective, I think whites and blacks view 
privileged differently because of the way they view life collectively versus individually. I think a lot of times because whites as, as, a, as a group have never been looked at and, and labeled collectively for the most part. Now, I know there are circles where that happens, but for the most part, you don't think of, of uh, whites as a monolithic group where they, there's a lot of diversity within the white population, a lot of different uh, points of view, a lot of different ethnicities, all of these other things. So I think as a tendency, they tend to view things on an individual basis. You know, how am I as an individual privileged or not privileged? While blacks, either because they've been compelled to do so or because of the culture, they see themselves as a collective. And because they see things collectively, I think it's easier for them to look and project that to the other side. So when they use the phrase white privilege, they see it as a collective thing, that whites collectively have these advantages. So I Whereas see myself as, I see myself within the, within the group collective, and so I must also place you in a group collective because that's my life's experience. Yes, exactly. Whereas a white person um, may look at it and says, well, uh, you know, I have the, these advantages or these disadvantages, and they see it as, as what their own individual experiences have been. Mm-hmm. And they presume that a black person should see it the same way, that it should be about what their individual experiences have been. And I say this as somebody who was very insulated from a lot of the difficulties that black Americans as a whole have experienced because my father being in the military, me growing up in integrated communities, going to integrated schools, being in safe communities with military installations and all of that, I was very shielded from a lot of these things. And so I grew up with that same sense of, of individual achievement and responsibility and that sort of thing, whereas if I had been born to a single mom in, in West Baltimore or Ferguson, Missouri, and I had all these horrible role models around me, I couldn't go to school thinking that I would be safe from drugs or violence or any of these other things, who knows what my perspective might have been. So I want to encourage some level of what I like to call other-centeredness and realizing that each one of us brings experiences to the table that can't be easily dismissed because we have not gone through them. And so when we try to deal with these issues from a university perspective with our students, we basically try, and particularly at a university like Liberty University, which is a Christian-based institution, we're trying to teach them to put the perspective of others to the the forefront and try to think of things from that point of view. And what that does is foster greater understanding and greater dialogue as opposed to us standing on different sides of the partition and sniping at one another. Um, you know, I told you once that for years I considered myself much more privileged than most because although I may be black, I also have both my parents married uh, 58 years and gotten counting. Um, yeah, I was raised in... Uh, they, 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 they get the congratulations. Yeah, yeah of me, course. Yeah, but, yeah. But they set they set an example for me. So I was raised in a two parent home. Uh, we were middle class, so we were always uh, able to have put food on the table. Always had clothes on our backs, a roof over our heads. I had all of those things, and so even though being black may have uh, caused people to look at me one way, uh, depending on what their particular prejudices or feelings were, 
I had all these other things that were advantages in my life. And so privilege as a concept is very complex and it's intersectional. You may have privilege that has a race-based component, but you may also have privilege based on class, privilege based on uh, economics. There's just a variety of things that come to the table. And what we need to do when we talk about this topic is not think of it in terms of trying to make someone feel guilty or someone respond in a way that's going to um, be hurtful, but we need to think of it in terms of how can we foster greater understanding of one another and greater dialogue so that where there are issues, like the one this young lady described where she uh, didn't get consideration for employment until she changed her name to something that was more anglicized, for lack of a better term, um, how do we deal with those uh, in a constructive way? Right now, what we have, as I said before, is it's being weaponized. When somebody says, check your privilege, they're not saying it to help you gain a greater understanding. They're criticizing you. They're telling you that somehow you're doing something wrong. Well, we we had a discussion about this uh, some months ago, and I challenged the concept of white privilege because, particularly because it's been weaponized, and I think that term has to disappear if we're going to have objective conversations with one another because it's already been used and already been uh, turned into a weapon. And uh, I, said, I used the, the term earlier, and <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to ter- take a break here in a moment, but uh, I, I said earlier what, uh, what happens is that you end up programming loyal foot soldiers to political correctness and if that's the objective, and it takes us back to the beginning of our conversation at the top of the hour, Ron, if that's the objective, then everybody loses. And in the case of the kids in the school in Wisconsin, it's, it's the kids who lose. I always enjoy speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, thank you for giving me more time. I always enjoy talking to you. I hope you have a wonderful 2018. And you, Ron, and we'll be in touch. We'll hopefully be able to get you on the air quite a few times before the uh, the year runs out. Thank you. You take care. Ron. All the best. Ron Miller, Associate Dean at Liberty University, the author of Sellout, Musings from Uncle Tom's Porch. And going from memory here, his, his Twitter is at Ron's Reflections, I believe. I'm almost sure. When we come back, Fran Coombs, the managing editor of Rasmussen Reports, the former editor of the Washington Times on this Past week in Washington. Don't go away.